Next Gardening with Cisco is brought to you by... This is Dave Ross. Monday morning, Jill Schlesinger on the resurgence of the stock market. Dr. Cohen keeps you healthy. Hannah Scott on the new DUI laws. And we talked to a retired general on why he thinks Howard Schultz would make a great commander-in-chief. Monday on Seattle's Morning News. On Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. News and talk, powered by the Pacific Northwest. And bonjour all you gardening cats and gators. Welcome to Gardening with Cisco. And uh, February 2nd, so goodbye January, even though it was was really Janu-spring. Because, boy, was that a wonderful January. So what I want to know is what the heck is wrong of Puxatawney Phil? He doesn't see a shadow, and now we have winter. That makes a lot of sense here, you know. So, oh, la, la, I'm really mad at Puxatawney Phil. You know, I have to tell one quick, quick story. By the way, I got a great guest. If you're interested in fruit and grown fruit, we're going to go to her in just a minute. And uh, I think this will be a really fun interview. She wrote a great book. But uh, first of all, I have to tell you, when I was a kid, I think I was like eight years old going to uh, grade school back in uh, Wischeeskin, where I grew up, and they uh, did a big thing over the loudspeaker of the groundhog coming out of his hole, and whether he'd see a shadow, and he saw a shadow and ran back in, and I burst into tears. (laughs) Oh, I was so depressed the thought of any more winter back there in Wisconsin. And I'll tell you what, I bet the people of Wisconsin are, are really happy that Tony Phil didn't see his shadow this year. So uh, just a couple other little things to mention. I'll be on New Day uh, Monday, and I'm going to be talking about growing blueberries in containers, which we might talk a bit about uh, today with my guests. So... But I'll be showing you how to do it in the whole nine yards. That's on King 5 on an 11 o'clock. And uh, just a couple of quick facts. I saw on King 5 this morning on the news that during the Super Bowl, they told about how much food and uh, alcohol people consume. <laughs> during the Super Bowl in the United States, we will consume one3 billion chicken wings just while the Super Bowl is out. That meant if if you ate one chicken wing per second to reach that amount, it would take you 44 years. So we're going to be eating the chicken wings. I'm not eating any of those, though. (laughs) But I may contribute to this next fact. And that is that during the Super Bowl, we in the United States will consume 395 million gallons of beer. (laughs) So I'll do my part. I will do my part tomorrow. So uh, let's see. I just wanted to tell one other thing. You know, I lead garden tours around the world, and I led one to Australia and Germany and Czechoslovakia. It was really fun, the Czech Republic anyway. And uh, so uh, while we were there, we were on this tour of a town we were in. I, I don't think it was Munich, but it was somewhere in Germany. And we went by this monastery, and the guy told us this monastery had a problem because uh, it became obvious the monks were drinking too much beer. 
So they had to put a limit on them. So they actually limited them to five liters a day. That was the limit they put on those monks. So if they're watching the Super Bowl, it could be the number will go up if they do exceed their limit. All right, now I finally, sorry for all that, but I just thought it was really fun stuff. So now I get to introduce my guest. Uh, Her name is uh, Tara Austin Weaver. She wrote a fantastic book called Growing Berries and Fruit Trees in the Pacific Northwest. This is a Sasquatch book. And, uh, hey, Tara, are you there? I am. Hi, Cisco. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm so pleased to be on. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy you're on. I really like your book quite a bit. I've actually uh, read it in pretty much detail now, which I don't do that with every book I get sent, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate it even more. (laughs) So you, I, uh, I've got a link to your website right on the front page of Cisco.com. You've got quite a history. You've you've lived in a lot of different continents, and you've been writing for a while. Now you're master gardener, so you've you have uh, you've got quite a history. Yeah, you know, I started out actually as a travel writer, and then I got into um, food writing. And then once you get really into food, you end up gardening because you want to grow the best food you can. So it's it's been an evolution, but it's all been really fun. Uh, it sounds great. And I've noticed that you're starting to get into fruit so much, you're cutting down on how many veggies you're growing now. <laughs> well, you know, I have to say, this, <laughs> this is what I tell everyone, fruit growing fruit is a lot less work than growing vegetables. It's just, you know... You plant a blueberry bush maybe once in your lifetime, and it keeps on giving you, you know, giving back. Whereas I have to plant that lettuce every spring, That's and then point. I have to baby it. So <laughs> Brussels like sprouts you, um, are so hard to grow. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Brussels sprouts are hard to grow here, but kale grows so well. Yeah, I don't know if we could, we could, you know convince you to develop another love, but kale is very reliable. <laughs> well, I'll work on that one. I, I have to agree. Kale, you can't hardly fail. Well, and it is so true with so many berries, although I have to admit, fruit's been driving me a little nuts in the last couple of years with having to put footies around my apples, and now this, uh, this doggone pear rust is just Yeah, I've got the pear rust, too. It's it's no joke. <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. And I'm, I haven't done anything to try and get rid of it, but I may pull my pear trees out. I never thought oh. I'd say that. I got three of them, but I'm frustrated with it. But, but Yeah, we, we, we have three, too, and one of them, the oldest, like, you know, has been here for decades before I showed up, um, it has it really bad, and it's, it's a bit of a heartbreaker. It is a heartbreaker, but, you know, I haven't figured out a cure that, have you yet? Uh, well, you know, they want to, They tell you to remove the leaves that have the rust on it, but it's a little <laughs> hard when that's most of your leaves. <laughs> I don't think there'll be one leaf left on my tree. Uh, right? Well, we'll, we'll right? see. We'll, we'll think about that one at another time. But you know what I wanted to talk to you about today is growing fruit in containers, because, yeah. you know, so many, you live in Seattle, right? I do. Yeah. So I'm sure you've noticed how Seattle is just growing in leaps and bounds. And now there's, you know, uh, uh, apartment buildings everywhere and 
condos and everything. So a lot of people really don't have much space to grow in now, but you can still grow great fruit in a container. You can. You absolutely can. I think it's really encouraging. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to be showing blueberries on TV on uh, on Monday, but I'll tell you, I really like that sunshine blue blueberries. And I noticed you wrote in your book that's one of your favorites for a container. Yeah, that was my first blueberry that I ever bought, actually. It was? Um, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, I didn't know anything when I was doing this is um, more than like 12 years ago. <laughs> and I was um, actually just in Seattle for the summer, but I was living in a house and it had a little little bit of space to garden. And I bought, I didn't know that you were supposed to buy two different cultivars to get better pollination. So I just bought two um, two Sunshine Blues. But that first summer, they gave me fruit. And I think that was the beginning of it. Once you start growing your own fruit and tasting it, and you're hooked. Oh, boy. And blueberries are so good. I just are. love and those And Sunshine things. Blue is great for containers. And it's also nice because it, it's sort of evergreen. It keeps its leaves. So... I think um, some of the other blueberries, if you put them in a container, you get that beautiful autumn foliage, and then you just have sticks for a little while. Yeah, the sticks are pretty, but, you know, they some are. of them are colorful, and you do get that great fall color. But Yeah, uh, oh, that's what I, I feel like people don't um, appreciate how well blueberries can do in an aesthetic garden landscape, because they'll give you fruit, but they're just really attractive plants, the the blossoms are beautiful in the spring, yeah. and then in the fall, all of those you know red russet colors, and um, and then even the um, the the canes in the winter are often you know red, red reddish or ruddy colored, and they just look really really nice in sort of a more aesthetic, less farm looking landscape. Boy, I agree too. There's only one problem though. And that is the birds. So you end up having to cover them with some kind of netting, you know. Do you you know that first, yeah, that first summer I was, I had the, you know, the sunshine blue blueberries. I was waiting for them to get ripe and they got big and round and I was so excited. And then, you know, I was like waiting for the sugars to mature and and I went out there one day and they were all gone. And I thought, oh my God, did my neighbors take them? You know, there were like 12 blueberries, but I was excited. And it was a little bush. And I really, you know, you couldn't even see the bush from the street. And I, for about, you know, a good 30 minutes, I was very suspicious of my neighbors. And then I realized the birds must have gotten there. (laughs) Well, listen, we're going to talk more about how to stop those birds from doing that and other things. We've got to take a break right now. I want to remind everybody that I'm talking to Tara Austin Weaver and a longtime writer, a really great writer, and uh, a master gardener. And this is a terrific book, uh, Growing Berries and Fruit Trees in the Pacific Northwest. But we're going to talk more about growing fruit in a container when we come back on 97.3 Cairo FM. And uh, hey, my guest is uh, Tara Austin Weaver and uh, wrote a great book, Growing Berries and Fruit Trees in the Pacific Northwest. So Tara, are there any tricks to using um, bird netting over a blueberry? 
It seems like blueberry is the one they're really after. I suppose sometimes it could even be important to cover raspberries if you've got a big bird population around. You know, it seems to me that blueberries and cherries are what they really, really go for. Um, I have, you know, we have a lot of birds around here and actually a kind of resident population of crows. And I don't get a lot of um, a lot of them bothering the raspberries so much, but um, the blueberries they will wipe out, and the cherries as well. Yeah. If um, if you have a cherry tree, so I think the biggest thing. I mean, you know, if you if you do some research, everyone has you know different solutions of you know put those you know everything from noisemakers to big yeah. balloons that have those you know those big eyes. But I really think that netting them is kind of the only reliable way to go about it. And the trick there is just to get get it the berries before the birds do because they have some sort of they're very, very well <laughs> um well evolved to just figure out exactly when the sugars are peaking and they will, you know, overnight, like you'll go out one day, they'll be fine, you go back the next day and they're all gone. Oh yeah. Boy do I know that. Do you build any kind of structure or do you just drape the netting right over? You know, I drape. Um, I've never bothered. Um, we have neighbor, actually, I have quite a large um, garden. It's about half an acre, and our neighbor also has wow. half an acre, and they have built, like, a whole cage around their blueberries. But um, I don't really like the way that, you know, personally for me, I don't like the way that it looks. Um, I am trying to sort of walk that line between an aesthetic garden and a farm. Um, so I drape, and then you can just take it off easily, and, and they look, you know, they look really nice the rest of the year. Um, but really, it's just, you know, getting out there. And um, I think that I'm going to be draping a little bit earlier this year. Like, usually I sort of oh. wait until they color up, but... I, I have lost some berries. Um, what I also like to tell people, you know, there a lot of people are very concerned about, um, you know, losing fruit to, I mean, everything from, you know, the strawberries to the slugs and, and the berries to the birds and what have you. And um, my philosophy is just to grow more and expect that, you know, you may lose with my strawberries. I, I <laughs> I'm fine as long as they take about 20%. If they take more than 20%, then we start getting into fights. And but, you're mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what happened to but, me? I always got my raspberries, except for if my neighbor's cherry tree didn't produce, then those robins came and ate my raspberries. That was the only oh, time they ever sense. did it. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, we know what their favorites are, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> They Boy, have that's a hierarchy sure. of berries as well. <laughs> Listen, I want to ask you a really important question because uh, there's been a lot of talk about the spotted wing Drosophila, which is uh, it's a new fruit fly that moved in the last yeah. few years and uh, attacks fruit before it ripens up. And, and you and I both know most of these berries we grow, you can't pick them before they're ripe, because if you do, they don't ripen up in the house, you know. So have you heard about uh, covering them with mosquito netting? I'd love your opinion about that. Yeah. So what I tell people about um, the spotted wing drosophila is that, I mean, this is a new pest to our area. It came over from Asia. And um, it's only been in the Northwest since about, I think, about 2008. It was actually in Hawaii or before then, since the 80s. So the research about it is very much developing. 
And um, I like to keep up with the, um, the bulletins that come out of, um, particularly Oregon State University has a really good bulletin on spotted wings, Drosophila. Um, and, you know, people are, are trying different things, but um, there are a lot of growers, like these bulletins are aimed at the commercial growers who they're really concerned about this because it can wipe up wipe out like 60% of your fruit crop. Yeah, so bad. that's a huge economic impact if you're growing commercially. So um, a lot of people are experimenting with drape netting. And um, the thing that you want to be a little careful about is that, um, you know, because this sort of fly does um, lay its larva in fruit before it ripens, you, you need to net it early but you also need to to not net it too early so it pollinates appropriately. Yeah. So it really comes down to a timing game. And with something like like so they they really like um soft skin fruit. So especially strawberries, raspberries, blackberries, blueberries and cherries. Um and you know with strawberries depending on what kind of cultivar you're growing they're going to be, you know, developing blossoms and then fruit throughout the whole summer. So yeah. that's kind of a hard one. I think that um, probably blueberries is your best bet for netting because those are, you know, most of those fruits you can kind of tell once the once the pollination, like once the flowers start kind of um, withering a little bit and turn brown, then the pollination phase is over and you can get some nets on there. So I've been thinking about it. Um, you can do a test for your fruit to see if you have the larva. You can make a, a salt solution. Um, it's like one tablespoon salt to one cup of water. And you may need to use a couple of cups, but then you, um, if you want to see if your fruit is infre- infected, you can take the ripe fruit and submerge it in that. And then these tiny little white wormy things will float to the surface if you have infected fruit. Uh, and I have done that, and I haven't found any infections. Um, but, you know, it's it's all over the Northwest, and there's really, you know, it, it's pretty hard to control because we have, you know, a wild blackberry issue. Yeah. <laughs> so they have plenty wait. of places where they can, they can um, you know, find find good homes and... So we just want to keep an eye on what's going on in our gardens. There's an, also another way that you can, um, so if you want to get ahead of the game, you can um, create these little traps. I know a lot of people, you know, are the fruit flies that we get in our kitchens in the summer. Yeah, so similar, very, very using similar. some they're vinegar. Diff- they're different flies, but they're similar, the vinegar flies. And you can make a vinegar trap and put it out in your berry area. Um, and it's, you know, you can make it out of a plastic container and sort of poke holes, but you want to have a top on the container and then put vinegar in it. And some, there's some recommendations that you can put, you know, something that the, the flies really like, like um, unbaked bread dough apparently is like a lure uh-huh. for them. They like the yeast in it. Oh, cool. But even if you just, if you just use vinegar... <laughs> They will, um, some flies will get in there and, you know, you can put a drop of um, dish soap in, which helps them sort of get stuck in the vinegar and sink to the bottom. And um, they say check that every week and look at the flies that you have caught and see whether you have the spotted wing. And 
the males for the spotted wing do actually have a spot on the end of their wing. So hey. if you see a black All right. dot, you know what? Then I, I have you to need run. To worry. I am so sorry. I have to run, Tara, but I've really enjoyed this interview with you. I recommend your book, Growing Berries and Fruit Trees in the Pacific Northwest. And I've thanks so much for coming on. I know you're giving a couple of talks at the Northwest Flower and Garden Show. Yeah. So I'll tell when those are later in the show today. And I hope I see you at the show. I'll be on the lookout for you and say hi. Okay. Thanks again. Thanks so much, Cisco. Okay, bye-bye, Tara. So uh, it's uh, Tara Austin Weaver growing berries and fruit trees in the Pacific Northwest. All right, time for the news, 97.3 Cairo FM. I haven't had time to look up when uh, Tara is going to be at the Flower and Garden Show, but I'll make sure I get to that before the show is over and uh, let you know. Or you can just go to the Northwest Flower and Garden Show. And uh, I know she's on the uh, DYI stage, at least for one of her talks. So you could look that up too. Hey, if you want to give me a call, feel free. That's one 973 cairo one 888 973 and uh, uh, we'll, we will talk serious gardening. I will not be stumped. So I'm a little concerned about this cold weather coming because I wouldn't be surprised if some, some of my more tender plants have broken dormancy, and I'm very worried about that. So I am going to cover some plants when I get home today from the show. So uh, I'm going to be running around out there. Just ones that I know are often harmed or injured by cold weather. So uh, you might want to consider that if you grow some of those rare plants. And they're rare because they can't survive cold winters very well as it is. So just, I find that spring, cold springs kill more plants than cold winters. You know, in the middle of winter, the plants, they get pretty dormant. They're doing all right. If you get real warm weather like we just had, and then all of a sudden it turns really cold, it has to stay cold for a while. The good news is it doesn't look like it's going to stay cold for very long. But if we get a long cold snap, that's where you'll start seeing your tender plants start to bite the bullet like crazy. So uh, I'll be covering some. And uh, all kinds, actually. (laughs) Okay. Hey, I did get an email, so I think I'll go to that. And uh, that was from John, and he wrote me, he sent me a picture of a Japanese maple. It's a lace-leaf weeping maple, and um, he didn't know what it is and was going, uh, what is this tree? And, of course, it has no, uh, no green leaves on it. But what it is is a really, really crowded Japanese maple filled with leaves that, you know, died on the plant. And when a Japanese maple has really crowded branches, those leaves just get trapped in there. So uh, I told him he had a Japanese lace leaf maple, which is a pretty valuable plant, can be, you know. And uh, this one... 
isn't very tall, so he's lucky. I think he just moved into this new house. But the key thing is that it's never been pruned before. So I think the key for John, and John, if you're listening, I hope you are, will be to hire someone that really knows what they're doing (laughs) to prune that tree. You can do it yourself, but what you do, you don't want to whack it way back. You want to make sure you cut to where another branch comes off. I usually start by trying to get all the dead stuff out of the garden first. And uh, after you're done doing that, then you just take out little branches evenly, about a third of them throughout the whole tree. And you'll be able to look through that tree in spring when it leaves out and see the beautiful character of the branching pattern. It's It's absolutely spectacular. Okay. We're going to take a break. I hope you'll give me a call. one 973 cairo one 973 Right back after this. Right, right before I go to the phones, I want to let you know when uh, Tara Austin Weaver is going to be speaking at the Flower and Garden Show Thursday, February 21st, 315 DYI stage. And then uh, Saturday, February 23rd, 530 in the Hood Room. So, uh, and she'll be doing book signings after both those talks. Okay, we're going to the phones. We're going to talk to Wanda now from Bothell. Hey, Wanda, how you doing? Great, Cisco. Oh, cool. Thank you for taking my call. You betcha. Hey, I got a question. I have a rhododendron that is just really trying to die. The leaves that have been drooping for the last three, four months, um, and then it's getting yellow on the newer growth. Uh-huh. Um, could that be a mole or some air getting underneath my plant? Or I doubt it. we have... You doubted. Yeah. How long How long has that roadie been in there? Oh, probably 10 years. 10 years. And is this the first year you've ever seen problems? Yes. Well, it could be a couple of things. It, it The yellow leaves sound a little like you could have powdery mildew. So what you oh, could do really? is you can, you can pull a leaf off that's in bad shape. And smell mm-hmm. it. See if you smell a, a mildewy smell. And also look at it really hard and see if you see kind of a, a gray powdery covering on there. It'll be on the bottom of the okay. leaf. If you've okay. got that, then that that's actually good news because I think you're going to be able to save the roadie. Uh, the other possibility oh. is it's got root rot. So... Oh. Yeah, you know, we plant our rhododendrons, we add compost, we do all these wonderful things when we plant them. And then they kind of <laughs> yeah. grow to the end of that hole that we dug for them. And uh, oh, how's your soil? Is it is it the kind of soil that you hit with a with a pickaxe and you fly in the air when it hits the ground? <laughs> Well, most of our gra- ground has been that way, but we've we've conditioned a lot of it. So what you're saying about the hole, I'm wondering 
if that might be the case. I see that a lot. We built, we built a little berm on top of that, you know, oh. amended that soil and then built a little berm on top of that um, and seemed to be doing fine. But all of a sudden it just, after all these years, it's taken a quick turn. How, how high was the berm that you planted it on? Mm, probably a, about a foot. Oh, now, and pretty wide? Yeah, it was um, twice as, well, twice the size of what we dug. Well, twice I could. Size, is that what I'm going to say? Yeah, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking it just grew out of that. It's so, it's finally just gotten so, you know, roadies in 10 years, they put out a good root system. And you did the right thing building the berm and everything, but I suspect it's just run out of room in that berm. Now, I may be wrong, but then, you know, now it's trying to go out into that clay soil, which it's probably not very happy with. Well, and I believe it probably has some competition with some big trees. I mean, they're not real close. They're probably 20 feet away, but... Yeah, they may be getting... well, yeah, the trees might be getting a lot of the water, and we've had so much drought. Have you? Do you water that roadie very often? Um, well, I keep it wet because real close to it, I have a blueberry bush. Oh, and um, it it struggled for a while, but it's come back, and that's why I was wondering, you know, if mold would cause some kind of air in the roots, or it's possible that would play a part on. It's possible, but unlikely, because they just don't make that many. You know, that would kill some roots where the mole went through, but I don't think Mm -hmm. that's going to kill a whole rhododendron like that. I think it's, yeah, I suspect really strongly that it's, it could be too much water. You know, if it's, if it's grown into the clay and then it's getting a lot of water, it's possible. It's hard to believe with a roadie, but it could be. But my guess is it's, my first guess is that you probably have powdery mildew. And, okay. And that can really hammer a rhododendron if you get it really bad. So check those leaves and see if you see them. You could even, uh, you know, uh, take one into a nursery or something and say, does this look like powdery mildew or... I don't know if any master gardener clinics are going right now, but if there are any, if you could get one in there, they'll know right away if you've got that. It's kind of hard to know until uh, you've seen it a few times. Well, I walked outside and I looked, and on the bottom of them, it almost looks like a rust and maybe some little black bugs. Oh, you've got, all right, I know what you've got. You've got lace bug. And lace, okay. lace bug is a horrible Bug. It's a true bug that sucks the juice out of the leaves of your rhododendron. Okay. And uh, you see in little tarry spots under there? Yes. Yeah. You got lace bug. They look tarry. Yeah. yeah. So you, I think you they're could save this. Then. No, they're hard to spot. But they're little bugs with see-through wings. And so here's what I think you got to do. You got to get some oil sprays. So you could use neem oil, oil for this. And uh, this, you, you know, I don't know if you're going to be able to do much. You could, you might as well, when you spray, you might as well spray under every leaf you can 
But the real the key. company leaves her off. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a little work. Well, you know, no, no pain, no gain. You know. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but uh, the new leaves are the ones you really want to protect. So when they come out, as okay. soon as they're about half size, you want to get a spray on there. Then spray okay. them again underneath when they're full size. And then you're probably going to want to do it at least every month. Or you can look to see if the bugs are on there. Now you know what they look like. You can, And get a magnifying glass. I can't really see them. <laughs> get a magnifying glass. That'll really help. Okay. And you have to wear one of those uh, Sherlock Holmes hats when you do this, by the way, for it to really work uh, right. Yeah, that's very oh, important. Okay. <laughs> okay. And you got to make sure you have a full attire. Yeah. But uh, you're going to, you know, this. there's a new lace bug now that's moved in. They're way worse than the old one used to be. There used to be one generation. Now they have repeat generations all summer. So sometimes to save your roadies, you got to spray all summer long. There is another alternative. How much do you like this roadie? <laughs> Are you suggest I was going to ask you about cutting it down? Would that kind of well? It, it might grow. Leaves to... It might it might grow back really well if you get every leaf. Get every leaf off. Cut it to two inches high. Believe it or not. Oh, I can't do that. <laughs> oh yes, you can. Come on. <laughs> but even six inches. And let it grow back, but you're still going to probably have to spray. You got them around, so uh, you got to be really, you know, persistent to save this roadie. You could plant something that other than a roadie, and uh, that might solve your problem. Hmm. Well, I'm just wondering if I have it on another roadie. Is if yeah. oh yeah, sign che- of a yellow. I got to run. Yellow. I ha- unfortunately I okay. have to run. But uh, check your okay. get get a magnifying glass. Check your other roadie. And, uh, you know, spraying this oil is very safe, so you could do that. Neem oil. All right, I got to run, Wanda. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody, thanks for tuning in today. Much appreciated. Brian, thanks so much for always keeping me going in the straight direction. We'll see everybody next week. Stay warm. Bye.